So the LUSD folks, um, they actually, uh, LUSD is a stable coin. Yep, one of my favorite got, projects. It, yeah, it's got this interesting minting mechanism where LUSD is a little below, a little above peg always based on how it's minted. So it's never below one. It's never below, it's never above 1.1. And right. it's, it drifts in between there. And so something like a stable swap pool, like you have on Curve or, or, or any of the stable swap clones these days, is tricky because the swap, the, the peg is not really one. It's the soft peg in this range. And what happens in a stable swap pool for LUSD is you end up not having much LUSD. When price is mm -hmm. above peg, LUSD leaves the pool and you just have the other asset. Makes sense. And that's a problem for LUSD because it means it's not very liquid, right? Right. And so in Maverick, they created this distribution, which is overweight LUSD. It's asymmetric. So for people who aren't seeing the screen, it's purple is LUSD and blue is circle and it's or USDC. And it's overweight and asymmetric in the LUSD side. And this is the distribution that they were always hoping they could. That's brilliant. And what's super cool is they can also incentivize this. So this just got turned on, and I think there'll be incentives here at some point. Um, so now instead of doing LP farming for an entire pool, a protocol can incentivize a given distribution inside of a pool. And maybe one day they want to incentivize this distribution, the next day they want to incentivize that distribution. So it gives it this, this the, we call it the surgical flexibility to do liquidity shaping on their like aggregate liquidity across all of DeFi, all of crypto. to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. All right, I'm excited today because I've got uh, Bob Baxley from Maverick Protocol. And it looks like they're doing some really um, interesting stuff with um, AMMs and how people and investors can manage their liquidity uh, in their decks. And so I'm looking forward to learning all about this. Bob, thanks so much for joining me. If you wouldn't mind uh, giving us a quick introduction to yourself, your background, uh, how you ended up in uh, the crypto world, and then we'll climb into Maverick and what uh, what value it brings to the ecosystem. Sure. Hey, Brad. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, so yeah, so I've got a technical background. I went to graduate school for um, signal processing and actually wireless communication. So it's kind of wow. information theory, that sort of thing. And I ended up as a faculty member at Georgia Tech for about eight years doing basic and applied research um, uh, that's what, that's impressive all by itself. Uh, Georgia Tech Tech background professor. That's uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, so I was teaching there, and then um, I caught the startup bug in 2014, 
and uh, joined or co-founded a cybersecurity startup. It was actually okay. a mix of wireless communications and cybersecurity. Um, we we raised uh, fifty million bucks, and I was the CTO there for for eight years, and it's now thriving. And I I, I on the side started getting more and more interested in crypto, kind of dabbled in crypto starting in 2017, 16. Um, even contemplated some ICO white papers back in those days. Um, and then one of my buddies uh, uh, really got into crypto and and we we jumped and started Maverick together. Wow. Um, when yeah. did you start Maverick? Uh, 2021 is, uh, so we, we did a little seed round of investment then and then um, a bigger, bigger round of investment um, in, in early 2022. Were you um, were you fascinated with the tech? Were you interested in the investing? What was what kind of drew you to crypto? Was it the ideals? What what was your initial uh, attraction? I mean, the whole thing is just fascinating, right? It's just right. A new paradigm. I, I you know, the pattern matching with the early internet days is very compelling, right? There's a whole new paradigm. It's going to be fun to get in early. Who knows where the space is going? But there's going to be all kinds of interesting things happening. Um, the idea of frictionless money is is super compelling, you know, right? So some of the detractors talk about crypto not having accomplished much, but the idea that you can transmit money across the world for essentially nothing for free or value across the world for free, and you have got all these, you know, you, you remove friction from all the kind of financial things that exist in the world, in, in the TradFi world. Um, there's there's big things happening in crypto, so I'm certainly a maxi there. And then on the tech side, also super fascinating, right? The, the idea that we can write these smart contracts, they run on this massive distributed virtual machine. They're immutable. Uh, you, know, you get all kinds of interesting guarantees, and I don't know. The whole thing is is fascinating from all kinds of perspectives. You were, I would assume, in the uh, in the tech world, you were in wireless communications, uh, security. You were dealing with some fairly low level languages uh, at that point as well. Was Solidity probably from your background easier to adapt to than probably for other developers? Do you think when you when you dove in? Uh, I mean, Solidity is a cool, interesting language, right? It's got, um, I mean, uh, so I, I, it's actually not that complicated a language. There's not that many exotic language features like in something like C++. Right. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, it's like you're programming on a floppy disk. You got 24, <laughs> 24 and a half for your whole smartphone, uh, which is That's awesome, which is quite a constraint. Right. I mean, we we, start, yeah. we spent a lot of time pruning down our code to get there, which which is the code is certainly cleaner when you are forced to those sort of constraints. You, you don't have any gruff in there, any any croft, which which is just um, inefficient. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I talked to an assembly dev that was doing Solidity once, and uh, they, you know, obviously they have their constraints, but uh, for them it was like not a big deal to adapt. But uh, that's that's really interesting, and 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 it's true. I mean, the I guess the beauty of the constraints are that theoretically it makes you able to see more clearly the things that could be a problem for you, right? Whether it's potential exploits or 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 whatever. Um, it, it really forces you to kind of look at the big picture of what you have um, and then really be able to analyze it a little, a little easier. I mean, I know it's still difficult, but yeah. You, you know. well, yeah. There's, there's no, you know, you don't end up with any bloat in your code because right. there's no room for bloat. Yeah. And then, you know, the attack surface, uh, you know, as a, as a person with a cybersecurity background, I mean, that's also super fascinating. Uh, there's such clever people out there coming up with these exotic multi-step, you know, flash, flash, uh, loan and flash transaction attacks. It's really interesting. 
Well, and it's, I guess it's, um, when you think about it, it's less, it's less about hacking code and more about how can you exploit the engines that are being deployed, right? And so, um, and thinking all the variables, thinking through all the variables and all the parameters of that's really interesting, but I'm sure with your, your security background, it kind of makes you, uh, a little more par paranoid than the ab average developer in terms of examining what could be possible with what you're deploying. Yeah, no, I certainly appreciate security audits. So we, you know, we were really thorough with with our audits and really thorough with the testing. And you know, there's there's just all kinds of you, you, you do a lot of work to make sure you've got a buttoned up protocol. And, nice. and you, yeah, and you make an interesting point. Like some of the vulnerabilities are just boneheaded solidity moves, but then some of them are engine based where the you know the protocol didn't consider this sort of oracle based attack or it's not really solidity it's more like a, the mechanics of the protocol that gets attacked right and that's probably a dominant percentage of of the attacks that happen i think uh for the most part so all right so look so you started in 2021 with maverick mm -hmm. um is is what you ended up with what you envisioned you were creating in 2021 no we, we did a few pivots actually okay um, yeah, and so that's maybe kind of fun to talk through. Yeah, sure. We, you know, we started out thinking that the the um, derivative space was interesting. I mean, it certainly is, um, sure. but we realized we wanted to do, uh, you know, the mechanisms we were considering, we wanted to do it without an oracle, and so then you need price discovery mechanisms. So you end up with if you want to price derivatives, you know, usually you need an oracle, or you can have some sort of market way to price them. Um, and so one option for that is is to have an AMM that does the pricing for you. Right. And then you are in this challenge, well, which AMM do you choose? And when we got to the bottom of that rabbit hole, we realized, well, we didn't like any of the AMM designs for what we were going to try to do in derivatives. So <laughs> we, we decided, let's go do an AMM first. <laughs> one day we may still get to derivatives and leverage and whatnot. But for now, it's just, uh, you know, we, we thought we've got differentiating um, technology to contribute in the AMM space. So that's, that's where we started here. And that was a, so that was, you know, it took us a year to build it. We went through all kinds of iterations. One, one kind of neat, one epiphany that we had was, um, uh, you know, there's protocols that kind of pitch, we've got a strategy and this is a strategy that will make you money as an LP and it'll do that, you know, robustly. I think, you know, those are, <laughs> it's a hard pitch, right? Sure. But, there, 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 there's always a, a tension. You know, there's, there's no, nothing's free here. There's no, no free lunch. And so typically there's some corner case or something where that, that kind of falls apart. So the idea that you're pitching a protocol as a hedge fund that's always going to make your LPs money is, is not a good, you know, it's, it's silly. Um, I, I think Uniswap did a, did a great job kind of building an AMM or a protocol that's really a fundamental money Lego. You know, right. Go look at the money, the, the Uniswap pitches. It's not you're going to make a bunch of money. It's there is capital efficiency and we've got all this flexibility. And so for right. Maverick, we think of it as, as that as well. It's not a hedge fund. We've built a money Lego that can enable new degrees of freedom for LPs who want to LP in an AMM. That's what's available. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. With, with the understanding that kind of, um, I mean, I'm just gathering this so you can correct me. Um, but what I'm gathering from the website is is that you're giving you're giving LPs tools to maximize not only kind of what strategies they might have, but also based on on market conditions and being able to kind of um, set things without constantly having to 
manage it, right? And so you can kind of set these, the, we'll talk about it more in a minute, we, you can kind of set these degrees of, of which way you think things are going and, and pattern, pattern the moves of your pool around that. And I, I think that was, to me, um, looking at that, it looks um, it looks like definitely something I haven't seen in the market yet. I mean, it, it obviously um, these concentrated pools remind me of of you of of kind of V three and 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 managing that. And my first my first inclination before I realized you were the AMM was that this was some kind of tool for managing those liquidity pools. So uh, I I um, I find it interesting that you've kind of taken this approach because I th I, I think there's a really strong appeal here for um, larger liquidity, well, any liquidity provider, but obviously more sophisticated, larger liquidity providers that would want to really um, be able to optimize what they're doing and kind of reduce their risks to some extent, right? Not that you're saying it reduces risks or eliminates risks, not financial advice, but, you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, so we, you know, we, we gathered input from a few directions. So personally, you know, we were LPing in AMMs, uh -huh. traded AMMs. And then we went and talked to a bunch of professional LPs and big big funds and whatnot. And there was kind of a consistent pain point where, um, you know, concentrated AMMs are great. They give you more capital efficiency. And capital efficiency means how much volume your position does divided by how much how big the pivot position is. And the reason people talk about that is because it's a proxy for fee. So the more capital efficiency, more capital efficiency equals more fee. Sure. Uh, so so what what you end up having to do or what the the pros do in in say uniswap is they're constantly moving around their positions right and there's protocols like gamma and arrakis that that try to live on top of uniswap and do that for you but it ends up being really gassy and it's not you know it's it's not the most elegant approach um and so we decided let's just build that natively into the amm nice so that you as an lp can choose to have your liquidity move um with price and then there's a bunch of knobs you can turn. You can have it move right and only right with price or left and only left. You want to make a bearish bet in both directions. You can modulate the time um, kind of lag before it moves and the the price movement that's required before it moves. So these are all knobs available to you. And in a sense, you know, Maverick is 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 a, could be considered more complicated to get into. But once you pick a position, um, then the, the protocol moves around your liquidity in, in whatever direction you've specified without you having to re-interact again. Um, and so at the end of the day, you end up with this, you know, really flexible thing. We, we expect other people will build on top of this. There's no reason that Gamma or Arrakis couldn't build on top of Maverick and, and kind of further do further um, smooth out strategies or, or make even more complicated meta strategies. Um, so, so the, the way we think about Maverick, if you think about, UniV2 or Sushi, those are infinite range AMMs. Right. And then UniV3 is a is a range AMM because you're staking a given range. In Maverick, we call it a dynamic distribution AMM. And so <laughs> the dynamic part is this idea that LPs can choose to have the liquidity move with price. So the liquidity can be dynamic. And then distribution is this idea that instead of in, in so in range AMMs like UniV3, the liquidity distribution is always a, a rectangle. It's, it's got a flat top. Right. Um, but in Maverick, you can actually specify any distribution you want. So bell, bell curves or exponential uh, curves or walls or whatever, a cell ramp. And there ends up being all kinds of interesting use cases um, for having different shape distribution. The 
part of the inspiration for that was there was a paper out of Harvard that said that the optimal distribution is actually not a uniform distribution. It's this exponential distribution. So if you want to weigh the mix of risk and reward as an LP, you should be staking exponential distributions, not range AMMs or range distributions. Um, but then there's some other neat use cases that maybe we can get into as we go along here. Cool. And in doing your research, um, you know, one of the common uh, things you th that, that you hear people say is that nobody's making money LPing on Uniswap, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I, I obviously, somebody's making money, or you would think, or they wouldn't be doing it. But did did you find that to be primarily true, though, that it, it was so difficult to manage um, whether V2 or V3 that, that um, people weren't necessarily making much from it? Yeah, I think I think you definitely have to pick the right pair, and you have to have an efficient AMM. Um, there's certainly, you know, if you so the LP is usually making a bet in in typical AMMs, the price will go sideways. Right. And so as it stays sideways, the LP collects fee, and if it deviates from sideways, the LP starts picking up impermanent loss. And if they leave, they make that loss, you know, concrete. Um, so. You know, it looks like you're selling a put option is is another way to think about it, where you're really betting the price would go sideways. Um, and that, you know, sometimes that's profitable, sometimes it's not. For a, a euphoric market in a certain pair like Pepe, you know, <laughs> doing really well, LPs are in there. Um, if you've got like no volume and you're in a volatile pair where there's little volume, but there's lots of movement, you know, you, you, yeah, LPing is, is probably not a good idea in that case. Um, but then, so so the typical AMM bet is a sideways bet. The neat, neat thing about Maverick's movement modes is they enable um, directional bets, nice. where you can have a bet that the price of one asset or the other will go up relative to the other. Um, so that's mode right or mode left. And now it's not so much a sideways bet. It's a you 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 can still be profitable even if the asset goes up or down as long as you've picked the right direction. Yeah, that's quite the promise. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a. That's a unique thing that, that's in Maverick. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the other thing that's going on in AMMs that, that we realized once we got into space is, um, you know, there's all kinds of protocols and tokens that need liquidity on chain. Right. And they're willing to incentivize that liquidity, you know, in, in terms of boosts and in, in, in farms and in LP farming and that sort of thing, LP mining, um, to get the liquidity on chain because they need that liquidity for their token to be viable. Uh, so I think there's a whole dimension of that going on, which is is also part of what we're doing at Maverick in our phase two launch, which we just launched last week um, that I can maybe get into too. But I think that, so while not all LP positions are profitable and you look at Uniswap and you say, well, why is there $50 million here if it's if it, the yield is relatively low? Sometimes it's just because people are market making a token for, for kind of alternative purposes. Right. Yeah. Um. And then, okay, so I definitely want to step into kind of uh, you showing us the the product and how it functions. And and for folks that are listening on the podcast, I, I encourage you to go to the YouTube link in the show notes um, that I'll put in there so you can see what he's going to share, what Bob's going to share. But um, in terms of kind of how you approach this um, strategically, mm -hmm. um, obviously it's one thing to say to, to, to LPs, hey, we have a better way to do this. You can provide liquidity here. Um, but you also have to have people that are actually using um, uh, using it for swaps or make yourself, um, you know, Legos that are available in the system. What what's kind of been your approach to to that and and 
ha have you found that difficult to to penetrate the market in terms of getting volume and and working with other protocols or whatever your strategy might be? Sure. Um, I think that's really another kind of example of why DeFi is better than TradFi. So to get volume, there's lots of volume um, that goes through aggregators these days. One is right. AeroSwap and CalSwap. Right. Um, and so as soon as you integrate with those folks, and for many of them, integrating is just you writing your own pull request. Nice. Um, you and Once you do that, and if you've got a protocol that's got you know, liquidity around price, then you just start getting volume. That's awesome. Um, and so it's, it is, and it's great for users, right? Because now they're, they're not, it's not like a brokerage account in TradFi where you're locked to your, your money is custodied at, you know, whoever it is, Charles Schwab or E-Trade, whoever it is. Right. And, and it's very cumbersome to move your money to a different exchange. Um, in, in DeFi, you don't have any of that friction. And so when new protocols come out that have a better system, better pricing, whatever it is, it's trivial to switch strategies. Uh, uh, so, so that's been our strategy is just get integrated with all the aggregators. Um, and, and we are now. And so um, we, the pools where we've got deeper liquidity than other, other DEXs, we, we get trade flow. That's awesome. You know, it's funny that I, I hadn't, um, <clears throat> I, I interviewed a project a, a few weeks ago and they talked about that one inch, they were driving a lot of volume for one inch mm -hmm. or were gaining a, a ton of volume from one inch and actually becoming a majority of it. Um, but I hadn't thought about that strategically as, hey, this is the way to get your your decks rolling is, is just to plug into these. Because then at that point, you're just competing for, from the user's perspective on, are you providing me the best price or you know what are the steps to getting there or whatever so uh, that makes a ton of sense i love that makes me want to start a dex well it's just kidding it, it's also <laughs> uh you don't see that you don't see that kind of um um kind of structured i mean the, the cool thing about DeFi is that you you've got all these projects that all have open apis because that's just how the blockchain works sure you permissionlessly communicate with each other and integrate with each other and so you get these really nice stacks of nice UX things. So in this case, it's aggregators talking to a bunch of DEXs. There is no analogy for that in, in TradFi, right? Yeah, no. I think it's really a, an example of like where there's just friction incumbents and cartels in TradFi that are skimming. Right? There's lots of, course. Of, there's lots of rents being given there. And it's, of it's, course. Uh, it's I, I, hopefully that, that, I, you know, that persists because of policy things. And I think eventually um, we'll, we'll see it persist less or will there'll be more opportunity for DeFi to, to go eat up those markets, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's regulatory enforced grift, right? I mean, it's it's um, forced, forced middlemen um, in order to protect us, right? Um, and so obviously it's one of the arguments I make all the time about the politics of this is that our framing is horrible in the political realm because rather... My point is, is that rather than beg not to be regulated, we should be demanding proactively that we're a solution that makes this better and stops taking money from investors, right? And so anyway, uh, you can get me started on that. We'll be on here for 20 minutes. <laughs> All right. So let's do this. Um, let's walk through, if you're cool, let's walk through the application and um, let's see what you've got and and explain to us how, how it functions. Sure. So let me share my screen here. Cool. Uh so I'm going to open up with, um, you know, we've we've had some pretty good success early on here. So we were number three the other day 
among nice Ethereum DEXs. So wow, doing, that's awesome, man. Yeah, doing great volume. Um, you know, when we launched, we were 30 <laughs> to the three. You know, we're, we're three to five most days. Wow. Um, is, is really great. That's got to feel good. I mean, did you have a perception that you were going to be able to get to that level uh, so quickly? Or 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 honestly, was honestly, it surprising? It was a little surprising. I think um, we didn't realize kind of how efficient some of the LP modes were in getting volume from DEXs. And that's really been the differentiator. So... Um, that's you know, fantastic. Yeah. And, well, and I, I, could, I kind of missed a whole narrative we have, which is, um, well, maybe I'll walk through this and I'll walk, and I'll walk through it. Great. Okay. So in Maverick, before I do this, let me, let me show you kind of what happens in this little video clip. So this is a, a mode static. This is similar to a range AMM position. Okay. What, what we're seeing on the screen here is, is price is in a range, is in a, a range uh, like think about like a uni v3 sort of range right when price is in that range you collect fee and that's right. shown on the screen here and then i've got another plot on the screen that shows um the price over time and when the price leaves the range you stop collecting fee right and so uh you know this is the issue with with uh, static positions without rebalancing is if the price is just going to leave range permanently then your liquidity is not collecting fee it's right it's useless. You should, unless somebody's incentivizing you to leave it there, you should either move it or do something else with it. And and the goal of that system is to reduce the risk of impermanent loss, uh, right? I mean, the idea is 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 you're you sitting in that range. You're not. You're not. Well, does it? <laughs> does so? Does does being in that range prevent that? It, so you know, impermanent loss is a little tricky. So it, for a range AMM, it's, there's a couple ways to define it, which is. Funny. So you can define it as as denominated in the quote asset or the base asset or the mix of assets that you bring to the pool, right? But but in general, you know, if if the price goes up a lot, you are left holding the less valuable asset here, right? So if you had held the more valuable asset, you would be doing better for sure. Sure. Um, um, so yeah, this this shows up not only as not collecting fee, but also as impermanent loss. If if we look at some, I changed the screen, and now we're looking at what we call a mode right position in Maverick. It's the same price trajectory, and there's a time weighted average price that's calculated in the smart contract. And when the price leaves the range, or the it's called TWAP, time weighted average price. When the TWAP right. leaves the range, um, the range will um, follow. And so in this case, an LP has chosen to follow right and only right. And so the, it's kind of like a ratchet mechanism where the price does not, the liquidity does not move left, it only follows right. And that protects you from, from what could end up being permanent loss actually. So this is still an aisle only position. But what happens, we're seeing the price trajectory is the price has gone up and you're able to stay in range a lot more often. And so you collect more fee. This, this is kind of the idea. That's awesome. Following right. So in the, in the user interface, if you go to the MAV, um, and you click on one of the positions and you go through the the um, uh, kind of the add liquidity wizard, the first thing you're presented with is choosing one of these modes. And there's a little diagram, a kind of animation that shows you what happens when price moves to your liquidity. And so you can stake one of these if you want to make a directional bet. And mode right here means I think tether is going to go up relative to a circle and, and vice versa if I pick mode left. Um, so that's that's the movement modes, and then the the distribution part that I was talking about. If we click static, um, there's an option here to change the distribution of liquidity. 
And so one of the options is flat. And this is the distribution you have in, in a range AMM. It's flat. Right. The x-axis is, is price. The y-axis is liquidity. And as I was saying, there was that paper that said that exponential is actually the, the right mix of risk and reward. So you're allowed, you're, you're able to pick that preset in Maverick as well. But you can also pull up and down these bars and create any distribution you want. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so that's that's pretty Oh, cool. so this is applying settings. It's not just a UI into the into the choice you made. That's awesome. Yeah, so so if I now I can pick an asset mix here. And so I, I picked a distribution, I kind of hand made a distribution. And I and then you type in how much you want to stake and you'll get a distribution in that shape. Wow. And so what's you know, what are the so what are the use cases for that? There's a few. Um, and we're actually learning more all the day. I just did a tweet about um, how uh, asymmetric bimodal distribution could help an own pool. And maybe we can talk about that in a second. But uh, kind of easier to understand um, shapes are, you know, pretend this green is not tether. It's just some arbitrary, like, new utility token that is trying to do an IDO, trying to launch okay. objects. So you don't know how much it's priced yet. So one, one way to do price discovery is actually just put a whole bunch of that token in a pool and let the market decide how much it's worth. So swaps will happen up until the price where there's kind of equilibrium. If you did that with a uniform distribution, you would end up selling a lot of tokens at the low price, hmm. just as many at any price, basically. But you can create kind of this ramp distribution. And what that happens is, is now at the low price, you don't sell many tokens. At the high price, you sell a lot more tokens. So it lets you do price discovery as a, as a through an IDO for a new protocol token cheaply. That's really smart. Wow. And then there's a couple other things you can do. So that's, that's um, we call that a sell ramp. Um, another thing a protocol might want to do is, is have support. You know, say they're trying to hold a peg and it's the prices above peg or below peg. They might only want liquidity on one side of the price. So maybe they, they, they only want to bring Tether and that creates a sort of buy wall for Tether. So it creates a little bit of a, a wall um, that will protect the peg in this direction, but not that direction, for instance. Right. And then the, the last kind of interesting thing is, well, there's a couple more. So another one is if you want to create a, a, a buy wall at a low price. So say, um, you know, you at 10% below price, you as a protocol will have some liquidity in a DEX and you lock this LP token you're basically signifying there's there's X amount of dollars to buy this token at that price and it's locked. So it will always be there. And this provides price support for your protocol. Another thing that that's really nice for is, is like uh, lending markets. So we're seeing with LSTs or really any, any protocol token that wants to get mass adoption, you know, a way to do that is to have yields that then can be rehypothecated in something like Aave or a lending market where you're doing this recursive borrowing and lending route loop to get leverage on your yield. Um, as a protocol, in order to support that loop, you need a whole bunch of liquidity in a DEX, right? That's right. an Euler look at. Sure. And a cheap way to do that, so one way to do that is to get liquidity near price, but you can actually do it more efficiently from a protocol's perspective. If you put the li liquidity, say 10%, 20% below price, um, and it also lets borrowers kind of manage liquidation if they set up these walls. So there's, you know, it's early days for us. We're, we're still kind of talking with protocols about these mechanisms. But there's new flexibility here that doesn't exist in, in DeFi, you know, until Maverick came along. That's fascinating. Um, I'll tell you, um, I've talked to, I've interviewed multiple founders who, who said 
you know, kind of one of the nightmares of their lives is, is that rather than spending their time building, um, they are now spending their time managing liquidity. Um, and the, and the fact that, I mean, I, real quickly, I'm curious kind of how you got to this brilliant UI, um, was this something you guys envisioned from the beginning that you wanted people to be able to basically not draw, but form um, what they wanted to create? Or was this something you guys kind of came to over time? Because this is, this is so smart. Like I, I can really see when um, someone familiar from a protocol or familiar with a particular pair or whatever um, understands and has an understanding of what they need or what their goals are or what something does normally, how powerful this can be for them. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, so where this came from, I think early on we had this part of our idea was liquidity shouldn't be uniformly shaped. And right. actually, the, the first version of our AMM kind of made everything Gaussian distributed. Hmm. Uh, and that was kind of fascinating with that math, but it ended up being really gassy to do. Okay. And then we realized instead of having this closed form Gaussian thing, which is, is curve kind of has this really fancy sort of math behind their shape as well. Um, but the problem with that is it's a little bit hard to intuit what's going on. Right. It's much easier. The Uniswap framing of price versus liquidity is really nice. So then we realized, well, we don't actually need to have a closed form distribution shape. We can just let users pick bins and make whatever shape they want. And that's more flexible, more intuitive, and et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of how we landed on this. That's brilliant. I mean, I've look, I'm not providing massive liquidity in the market. So I may not have encountered this if it existed elsewhere, but this is really uh this is elegant. I love this. Thanks. Really. Yeah. yeah. I, I um it's brilliant. So um yeah, let me <laughs> keep going. I'm sorry. I'm just uh, fascinated by that. Yeah, there's a little more that you might like here then. So so we we got this um we got that feedback actually from a few protocols that um so there's, there's millions of dollars every month, maybe tens of millions of dollars, probably more than that, um, that's incentivizing LPs. So this is outside incentives from a protocol. Uh, so like Lido is an example. They right. they add incentives to the curve pool to the tune of two, three million dollars a month. Wow. Um, and, and the challenge with that is the curve pool, they have to incentivize all the liquidity kind of equally. So you, when you incentivize that pool, the pool is in whatever balance it's in. It's got you know half this token, half that token. And you as an incentivizer have to be agnostic to which of those tokens you get. You're getting it in that proportion whether you like it or not. Right. And so what we heard from protocols is actually they don't want to incentivize in the proportion that's already there. Like oftentimes they want to, to rearrange the proportion. That's the whole point of the incentives, to hold a peg or to, to get quote asset in a pool two or whatever it may be they actually want to do something a little different. And this is where we, we came up with this idea of, of boosted pools. So this, this LUSD example is, is really neat. So the LUSD folks, um, they actually, uh, LUSD is a stable coin. Yep, one of my and favorite it's got, projects. It, yeah, it's got this interesting minting mechanism where LUSD is a little, below, a little above peg always based on how it's minted. So it's never below one. It's never below, it's never above 1.1, 1 .1, right? It's, it drifts in between there, and so something like a stable swap pool, like you have on Curve or or, or any of the stable swap clones these days, is tricky because the swap the the peg is not really one; it's this soft peg in this range. And what happens in a stable swap pool for LUSD is you end up not having much LUSD. 
When price is mm. above peg, LUSD leaves the pool and you just have the other asset. Makes sense. And that's a problem for LUSD because it means it's not very liquid, right? Right. And so in Maverick, they created this distribution, which is overweight LUSD. It's asymmetric. So for people who aren't seeing the screen, it's purple is LUSD and blue is circle and it's or USDC. And it's overweight and asymmetric in the LUSD side. And this is the distribution that, that they were always hoping they could. That's brilliant. And what's super cool is they can also incentivize this. So this just got turned on, and I think there'll be incentives here at some point. Um, so now instead of doing LP farming for an entire pool, a protocol can incentivize a given distribution inside of a pool. And maybe one day they want to incentivize this distribution, the next day they want to incentivize that distribution. So it gives it this, this the, we call it the surgical flexibility to do liquidity shaping on their like aggregate liquidity across all of DeFi, all of crypto. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's that's, that's very exciting. Yeah, and, and you good you to point out, um, those of you just listening, um, <clears throat> the interface elements we're talking about are um, bars that, that, that uh, Bob is dragging up and down or able to drag up and down actually form an image of the way the, they want the liquidity shaped based on and, and the distribution of it um, and so in this case there's there's a, a larger side up for what liquidity is doing um, versus the smaller side uh, down uh, on the opposing token USDC in this case that's some um, fantastic I, I got to believe that this capability as well as the kind of this that idea that you were just talking about of of you know being 10% or whatever below for kind of maintaining peg or maintaining price range is um uh, for the, for the protocols you've spoken to I have to believe that's a pretty exciting proposition yeah no I think it is I think we're um uh yeah so I think we're going to see more and more incentives so we just released this last week this we nice. call to I think we're starting to see more, more and more protocols incentivizing targeted liquidity like this. Um, one, so one of the other use cases that we kind of just fell into, um, let me go back to the pools page. So if you think about what's a challenging pair to LP in, in DeFi right now, well, let me walk through some history. So, you know, Curve, Curve had this genius in, insight, Michael over there, that... Um, there's too much slippage for stablecoin pairs in an XYK kind of uni v2 pool. So right. he said, let's do some new math to have concentration at price equals one. That'll reduce the slippage, it increases efficiency, and it's great. And what and then he had this genius tokenomics model too. Um, and so what ended up coming out of all of that is this the curve wars, which is really the stablecoin right. wars, right? Right. So every stablecoin that was the AM to be at because it was effective, and then it had tokenomics and incentivizing mechanisms to let the tokens compete. So you know you see Frax or Die or Circle or Tether, they're all trying to become the the stable kind of quote pair in DeFi, and they competed that out in Curve, and that's still ongoing. But you know that was a big narrative a year or two ago. Um, where we see kind of a neat spot for Maverick to operate is in these LST pairs. So liquid staking tokens, we use tokens instead of derivatives, but LST, LSD. Um, right. you, you've got a yielding ETH token, like WST ETH, RETH, CB ETH, Swell ETH, Unsheath, you know, there's there's dozens of them now, right? Right. The challenge with LPing this pair is you know it's gonna move 4% in price a year. Right. 
but it's so but the the range is so narrow that you'd love to be really concentrated so if you go look at these pairs on uniswap people are inching along their distribution right which is gassy and it requires a lot of infrastructure and sophistication and this is where maverick we again we kind of lucked into this sweet spot but the movement modes whether it's mode right or left lets you follow that price without having to do that rebalancing it all happens mm -hmm. natively um, so we we see kind of an LST war playing out already, where all of these LSTs want to be the replacement for ETH. They want to see a pair like, um, I'm at, yeah, it's like so here we get GAL WST ETH. Right. Typically, GAL token would be paired with ETH, right? Right. But as an LP, you know, why pair it with ETH if you could have yielding ETH sitting in the pool? Of course, of course. And so we'll see more, you know, but the other LSTs would love to, this to be their LST, right? That's so exactly what happened in the curve wars. And we think that, that we're kind of well positioned to let these LSTs try to gain market share and volume um, across DeFi. Oh, that makes complete sense. Um, and I definitely can see uh, that coming. And it wasn't something I thought about. Like, I, you know, every day there's another LST or LSD um, hitting the market. Um, and I actually I just had an interview with the project that's doing um, a stable based on lending on staked ETH uh, coming off Lido. And um, anyway, so yeah, I think you guys are in a, a really good spot, especially right now. Um, it'll attract more attention. ETH just saw a piece that said ETH is average last week 8.6% um, because of Pepe. So wow. Yeah. yeah. I didn't I didn't see that. That's that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, I love that. I always love these stories of um, teams that build a protocol um, and then realize functionality they hadn't seen prior or strategies or market segments that could make use of it that um, they hadn't seen prior. And, and again, you know, it kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier is um, because all of this is so flexible um, and, and, and there's so many opportunities to kind of customize how you interact with it that um, it lends itself to be able to create even more and more opportunities. That, that's fantastic, man. That's yeah, thanks. This is really cool. Thanks, thanks. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. So, uh, in terms of um, uh, strategically recruiting um, LPs, um, how is how is that process going for you? Um, I mean, do you feel like you're getting the kind of traction you want is it something you've been aggressively doing or was it you kind of wanted to get to this point with your releases to to really go to market hardcore for it well i think um so the, there's no um um you know one way protocols attract lps is by giving out um protocol tokens so there's there's no sure. nav doesn't have a protocol token so there's no real incentive that we can give other than better you know, better performance, better capital efficiency through the just math mechanics. So I think that's that's really the plan for the the near term here is just um, letting LPs find it organically. You know, having talks like this, and then um, partnering with these protocols that start incentivizing these boosted positions because you know the protocol has their own objectives where they're sure. trying to put at the end of the pool. So it's really really trying to be have a symbiotic mm -hmm. relationship with the protocols to get. Um, liquidity in there. Well, look, I, I, uh, I definitely agree with you. Um, obviously, the uh, I think the real value is in the functionality and the better performance uh, that, that they can get out of this, right? So, um, 
that alone, ex getting exposure and that alone for what the for the tools that you guys offer should be enough, right? I don't compared to what's in the market. Um, I I would say that you've got a superior experience and superior um, ability to perform with with earning money uh, as an LP. So I, I think that part of it's not difficult. I um, and certainly you know a PR campaign is a great way to to get there. So. Uh, um, and get attention for it. But, you know, what the, the nice thing is, is um, uh, this, this world is small, right? Mm -hmm. And so once you have a few satisfied folks, um, if they don't feel like they're directly competing against each other, then um, the word will spread too. So mm -hmm. that's part of the, part of the process. So do you, um, do you think kind of the strategy of uh, leveraging the aggregators is, is kind of uh, your longer term strategy or do you really have a goal of kind of building Maverick into a brand where, where people are coming directly into the protocol and interacting with it? No, I think it's the latter. So, you know, the um, standing on the shoulders of giants here, like Uniswap has really blazed the trail. I think they've done a great job. Um, you know, they've even got a mobile app and essentially a wallet and whatnot. So, um, I think as we get more brand recognition, it, it makes sense to swap through our app. It, the gas is slightly less because the router can be a little more efficient without going through an aggregator. Nice. So I, I think we'll start seeing more of that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, yeah, so we'll see. Actually, and I didn't mention where we did also launch um, on ZK Sync. So we're one of the few DEXs that oh, nice. we're the top decks on ZK <clears throat> on, on mainnet and ZK Sync. So if you're looking for a place to, um, LP or trade on ZK Sync. Check that out. That's awesome. That that's a good strategy. I love that. Um, yeah, and, and I look. I think um, it almost seems like you know. I just was looking at a protocol um, yesterday um, called Native, and um, I haven't taken a deep dive into it. I just briefly was kind of glancing at what they do, but it's actually this model of embedding um, the Dex functionality into protocols. So rather than you having to leave to go back and swap something and come back to the protocol to deposit or do whatever you're going to do on that protocol, borrow, whatever it is, they integrate directly with the protocol, right? And so the swap can happen within the interface to the protocol. Um, but what was interesting about theirs was they were trying to do this, um, some kind of aggregated liquidity amongst all the protocols that are using the platform. But what I, what I thought strategically was really interesting was this idea of embedding the DEX functionality and from my perspective, and I'm not telling you how to run your business, but from my perspective, um, with the advantages that you give to the protocols, it would seem to be even more so in their best interest to be driving uh, people to Maverick, right? Um, because they're strategically trying to make sure that um, they maintain what they're maintaining through your interface. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, there's, there's, um, there's what are essentially wallets now trying to do this too. So Socket's an example. And that's sort of their pitch too, is they can embed, and it, they're really just calling APIs from the aggregators, as I understand it. They are, um, yeah. Uh, which is is fine, you know, simple is better. Um, but they, I think it's the same sort of thing where, you know, wherever you need liquidity, ch different chain or to do LPing in a certain ratio, you can use that widget to do it. So I, yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of building protocols. You know, where do you want to live in the stack? How vertically integrated do you want to be? Um, you know, what, what else you want to do? I think our, I don't, I'm personally more fascinated with going and doing more, more smart contract things. 
So, uh, you know, so you're expecting to build more on this or around this? Yeah, yeah, I think I think we'll eventually get back to to other types of trading. So GMX has been super successful, but I think there's sure. lots of, lots of room to do new things there. Um, the, yeah, there's I think lending even is still in the early stages, you know, Oracle based lending and whatnot is there may be other options there. So um, and awesome. Yeah, that's great, man. Um, OK, I have. Two final questions I ask everybody, but for, before I do that, is there anything else we need to talk about about Maverick that we missed out on or that we didn't cover? No. Are you guys are you guys hiring? Um, are you you know? Sure. Ready? Yeah, we're always looking for for um, qualified people or exceptional people. So yeah, cool. hit me on, yeah. I'm on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter, so I'll, I'll answer your DMs. Great, um, and I'll put your Twitter handle in the show notes, so if people want to reach out, they can. Great. Excellent. All right. So last two questions. Uh, first question is, um, I always ask everybody, um, who's someone um, in DeFi and crypto um, that you either have a lot of respect for or that you just think is inc incredibly critical to where we've gotten to today or to the future of where we're going? Well, you know, I, I think Vitalik's an obvious one, right? Sure. And then, and then I think um, you know, Curve and Uniswap are super impressive protocols. So yeah. Mike and Hayden have done a great job. I, I don't know either of those guys personally, um, but I'm I, I think they've done a fantastic job. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was, yeah. All right. So uh, founders, um, if uh, if you had any lessons over the last two years um, that you could pass on to other founders trying to build in this space, uh, what what would you pass along? Well, it's maybe a cliche, and so you know, this is this is not my first startup. I you know did big sure. venture, big venture backed Web two security startup before this, um, but it, it's interesting doing B two C. That was B two B, where you've got consumers and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I, I think the big thing is like there there are definitely dark days, and you're like, oh man, this, this math is not working out. That's brutal. <laughs> what are we gonna do? Uh, and I just they all it all seemed to resolve you know you just keep grinding and grinding and grinding um and uh and it's it's worked out so far so i think that's a that's a message to that i take away from from the experience for sure keep grinding yeah keep but, pushing through yeah you know and I, again it's kind of cliched you know don't don't suffer the setbacks keep grinding but it it, it definitely applied in the building of maverick yeah that's great that's really good that's fantastic well i really appreciate you coming on bob i'm i'm actually uh, I'm really intrigued with what you guys have got going here. Um, and uh, I will definitely take a deeper dive. So thanks. Thanks for your time. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Great cool. From, from the experience for sure. Keep grinding. Yeah. Keep but, pushing through. Yeah. You know, and I, again, it's kind of cliched, you know, don't, don't suffer the setbacks, keep grinding, but it, it, it definitely applied in the building of Maverick. Yeah, that's great. That's really good. That's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you coming on, Bob. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm, really intrigued with what you guys have got going here um and uh i will definitely take a deeper dive so thanks thanks for your time okay yeah thanks brad thanks for having me Great cool time.